You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. There she blows, Bracken. I'm embarrassed. You're embarrassed? Yeah. Why? I didn't take care of my job, Kirk. I didn't handle my business this week. It's a thankless service, Bracken. There was no service rendered this week. <laughs> what What happened? We recorded our episode on Wednesday or Thursday, as usual. It was a great episode. I couldn't wait to put it out. And then Callie Schweikart came into town on her way home for Christmas, stopped over so we could do a a High Rocks training weekend, since we're going to go after the High Rocks doubles world best time in about five weeks. And I went and picked her up Friday morning during my normal podcast editing and uploading time, got back home, continued on with my day. I was past that time frame, and I, I just never did it. In my mind, it was done. <laughs> you messaged me Sunday and you're like, what's going on with that podcast? Or Saturday night. That wasn't the tone. It was more like, what's going on with the podcast? It's tough to tell through text. I assume the worst. I wasn't upset. And I assumed that there was major troubleshooting issues because that happens from time to time. I mean, there were major issues that were just uh, forgetfulness. So it's just sitting there. Well, good. It'll come out next Friday then. I guess so. That's embarrassing, huh? Yeah, I'm embarrassed too for something. You're getting old. What are you embarrassed for? Well, I host a podcast with you, um, and I can't figure out how to use my own damn microphone. That's embarrassing. My computer's not recognizing my external microphone. I'm trying to figure out why my audio sounds a little less than stellar lately. It's because I've been using the damn built-in microphone on my computer, and it's not recognizing my uh, my high-quality microphone. That's embarrassing, too. We're just B-teamers over here. We're embarrassing men. We really are. And I don't know what's worse, not knowing that you're making mistakes or being unable to fix the mistake you're aware of. Neither are good. Mm, I would say ignorance is bliss, so I will say the latter. It may be bliss for the person, but yeah, you're... it's not like something you strive for. I'll be curious what all those poor, poor souls of the running public listen to on their long runs this weekend. I wonder if they knew when to stop their long run. Maybe they're still going. There's a real, I, I think there's a real good chance <laughs> they went. They just kept going. Or never started. In that case, you should feel real guilty. Deload a week. <laughs> Instantly. Impromptu deload week. So I want to hear. Um, I want to hear about your training weekend. That seems like quite a. Actually, you know what? This is Callie's fault. This is once again Callie screws everything up. Callie, come on, lady. If it wasn't for you, the episode would have come out. There's no taking ownership on our ends over this. Clearly, my microphone is a technology issue that's out of my hands, and clearly, you missing the episode uh, launch is Callie's fault. Because she distracted you. So we're simple people. This is why I don't hang out with, with people outside of, of Lisa. I just take care of my own little world. 
and I don't peek outside the curtains. And the moment I open up to the world, chaos ensues. Yeah, definitely don't take responsibility for any of your actions. I think that is the best way to approach most everything. If I've learned anything over the last four years is that you don't have to. (laughs) And I can't tell if you're being serious or not. (laughs) I mean, I'm joking, but there's some truth there, I think. Pass the buck, Kirk. Pass the buck. No, it was great. Kelly came in and uh, came in Friday. So Saturday we did a a skill and strategy session. We went and spent two hours in a gym, went over every high rock station, practicing technique, practicing our transitions, passing the work back and forth. For people who don't know high rocks, it is eight by one thousand meters, but in between each one thousand meter run there is a fitness station. Station one is a one thousand meter skierg. Station two is a, I believe, a 100-meter sled push. Station three, 100-meter sled pull. Station four is 80-meter burpee broad jump. Station five is 1,000-meter row. Six is a 200-meter farmer's carry. Seven is 100 meters, 80 meters, something like that, walking lunges. I think 80 probably. And then final station is 100 wall balls. And it's a competition. You just finish as fast as you can. But with the partner workout, the high rocks doubles, you do all the same thing, but you get to split the work. Only one person is allowed to work at the same time, but you run next to each other the entire time. So you can't get ahead of your partner. You have to stay together. And so the transitions matter. You can't get ahead and and start working on a station before you both arrived. Correct. You have to enter and leave the, the stations at the same time. So transitioning on the sleds, the wall balls, farmer carry, the machines, ski erg and rower, those things, there's time to be lost everywhere. So we went over how we were going to handle all that. And then on Sunday, we went to a gym who graciously, I just called around CrossFit gyms because I needed the correct equipment to do the full sim accurately because my sims in the past haven't been accurate enough. And someone opened up for us on Sunday. They were closed. They said, ah, we, we could use some office hours anyways. And she and her husband just came in, opened up the gym. We had the place to ourselves, and we did a full high rock sim. That's awesome. How did it go? It went well. Uh, the, the record, the mixed doubles record is 55-51. And we thought on our first attempt in training, we'd like to crack 60. And we were 58-20. Fantastic. So about two and a half minutes off the world best time and, you know, not in competition. It was set in, in Germany where the, all the sleds are always suspect. Um, we had like four minutes of transition time built in, which is going to be a little longer than race day. We probably raced at 90% capacity, leaving room for technique. And, and then we found some things that we'll have to do better next time. So it's in range. It's awesome. It felt good and bad at the same time which is about how it should so it was encouraging and it was just a lot of fun to throw down i have to believe that like in this situation it it has to be very different for the male and the female participants Mm -hmm. um and it it doesn't always have to be because the female very well could be stronger than the male or the female could very well be faster than the male so there's Mm -hmm. it can go both ways but Typically, whoever is weaker and or slower is going to be basically redline 100% nonstop. And the person who is either faster or stronger is going to be in a more managed effort. 
So I have to imagine like more pressure would be on Callie in this situation. And your job is to fricking crush the workout stations when possible so she can run faster during the run. Correct. So like, I feel like they're very different expectations out of partners in this situation, unless you were both so equally matched on both fronts, which is such a rarity, I would imagine. Correct. Like how's the mindset going into that? I don't want to give away our strategy because we're uh, Nick Riker and Alicia Cooker are going up against us. Mm -hmm. We are going to do Nick and uh, Morgan. That's how it started. Morgan and Callie are best friends, but Morgan's foot still isn't responding. So she's not going to be ready, which is a huge bummer. That girl just deserves a (laughs) gift from the universe at this point. And then I think Alex and Cassidy are going to be there as well. So I don't want to give away all the the secrets because we, I think we have some some things we're going to do that no one else will. But the the workout is basically predicated around balancing out weaknesses and building in rest time for whoever's most trashed. Correct. So making sure that the fastest or the person who has to work hardest on the run gets some built-in rest on some of the stations and vice versa. So when Michelle and I did mixed doubles in Orlando, the couple that took second to us had a big like six, five powerhouse man and his wife, and she was a better runner than he was. So it was the opposite of what we faced. So she was pulling him on the runs and then he'd go to work on the stations. Right. But was always a little, you know, compromised. Whereas ours is Callie's going to go to work on the run where I'll try to recover the best I can. And then, yeah, I try to blow it out on the stations. Okay. So you very much have a strategy based around your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And that was part of what Saturday was, was trying to come up with a plan for who starts and finishes each station, where the rest is built in, how far, like how many meters do I row versus her? And how many times do we switch on different apparatus in order to minimize transition time, but maximize the time you spend not tipping over into redlining. Mm-hmm. Now, does each person have to engage with each station? No, no. Like, for example, the time you would lose in transition getting off and on the rower is probably not worth switching, potentially. In theory, no, but it, but then it comes down to, to numbers you put out. So if I can row a 1,000 at 142 and she can row a 1,000 at 152, like mid-competition, then it's only a 10 second per 500 difference. So that's a 20 second swing. So it makes most sense for me to do that. But in order to hold 142 for the whole time, I'm going to come off pretty trashed. And right before it is burpee broad jumps, which is a big strength of mine. And I'm going to want to work a lot of that. And then right after is farmer's carry, which running with the weights versus jogging takes a big quad pounding. And in the rower is a lot of quad work. So then a transition suddenly makes a little more sense, especially if we look at her thousands as standalone thousands and we want her to get rest before or after, like it makes sense. So anyways, it's, we had to start working the numbers of if I do it the whole time versus if we switch, what do we lose versus gain on the other stations fore and aft? Mm -hmm. And so that's, then Sunday was testing that out, figuring out what we will do and won't do. And then if we break it up, if I can row at 128, versus 142 and then lose five seconds in transition, but gain eight seconds overall. Like, so it just finagling the numbers. What are we, what are we going to go with and what sounded logical versus working when you're already tired and trying to transition fumbling. So. Mm-hmm. Well, we know Cassidy and Alex can work together on a regular basis. Can Nick and his partner work together on a regular basis? I don't know if they've even like 
ever worked out in person together. Okay. Well, because like on paper, it sounds simple. Okay. You go till you're tired. I go, we switch off before we tip over on any one thing. And that way we maximize our speed and efficiency through everything. However, on the surface, it looks that way, but underneath it all, it is way, way, way more calculated and complex. And to maximize your performance, there's that's the, the, oh, if you get tired, hand it off. If I get tired, hand it off. Isn't really the right approach to this. It is like a strengths and weaknesses, what's coming yeah. up, what just happened. So listening to you, like there's a lot more nuances that go on in like a high rocks doubles than I think you would just see from the surface. And it'd be different if you and I did it versus Callie and I. Correct. Because we would be more evenly matched and then it would make sense to split up the moment you feel tired switch because we would want to come off and both work the run. And I'm talking mixed doubles. Right. So with Cal, like for example, yesterday we did on the walking lunges, it's 50 pounds on your back. And I switched a little before I thought I should, but that's where the turnaround natural point is. So that's another one. Like on a turnaround is a, like you should pass on the turn rather than carrying around the turn. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. Like if I just have to get down and drop it onto her back rather than turn around, that's an extra second wasted. But then on the way back, I came up probably like 10 meters shy on energy. Suddenly my quads were shot, like almost shot. And I should pass off at that point, but she needs to work the run. So if I pass to her and she starts the run, having just done 10 extra meters of lunges, now she loses the the run time. So it makes sense for me to lunge through that, but I came off of it so jelly legged that it took a while to catch up. So we realized like our lunge strategy up until I have to finish the lunges being the lunger so that she can run off of it. Mm-hmm. But we need to transition at a different point than we thought we were going to. So it was good to get a dry run. Last question on this. And this is just like a general question. Let's say there's a big discrepancy on the running front between a male and a female. Mm-hmm. Um, would it ever make the most sense for the male to do everything? So the woman can run as fast as she possibly can which is where maybe the most time, like if you start doing the calculations and mm-hmm. would that be allowed? Like, okay, this is mixed doubles, but really the man is doing the strength stations so the woman can charge up and run fast. Like what is the, what's the legality of that? That's technically allowed. It would be allowed. Hmm. And in some stations, like for example, the burpee broad jump time-wise we've worked it out would make sense for me to do the entire thing. Okay. Because it's my absolute best station out of all of them. Yeah, you can cover some ground with those broad jumps, can't you? Yeah, and I'm efficient at it. And it doesn't take a lot out of me. Mm -hmm. But it takes enough out of me. Like The difference between doing 40 resting for 10 meters and doing 30 and doing all 80 straight through is like exponentially different. Because the back end of all the stations, the sleds, for example, I could get through the whole sled probably as fast as we could as if we changed, but then I'd be really shot for the run, but it's less about the run. It'd be like now getting to the next sled. If I was still supposed to do the whole thing, I would start to really compound rumble at some point. Yeah. And by the time we got to the row, now I'd be in trouble. Yeah. And then walking lunges are so like, there's no momentum with walking lunges. You have to have your legs underneath you getting there. And then for most people, like I would say Alex would be one of the guys who would be capable of doing almost every station by himself, but it would be so hard on the legs eventually that she'd be out running them towards the end. Yeah. And then he'd be over revved rather than recovering on the lunge. So there, I'm, I bet he, I think he did their full farmer's carry. 
the last time they did doubles. And he probably did, I would guess, a lot of the row, if not all of it, because it would just, again, make sense. So I think some people will do that, but we're we're going to err on the side of shorter reps, more switches, but be really, really good at switching. Yeah, I like that. I, I like that approach. I'm not suggesting like anybody does necessarily what I had outlined. I was just like super curious if you get like the, the certain situation that, you know, it'd be, it, yeah. there's just so many ways to approach it that there's not one right way. It's very like couples dependent. And so um, it'd be fun. And coming off of the lunges, it took me until our 500 meter turnaround point to get my legs back together. Which is a long ways. She was pulling me. I was like 20 meters off her at one point in the run, just trying to get my legs back. And so had I done all of the lunges, it might've taken me the full thousand to get my legs back together. And then you go right into wall balls. You'd have been screwed. Yeah. Totally compromised. At which point she's just run a hard thousand and she doesn't want to do wall balls and I can't do wall balls because my legs are trash. So yeah, for us, because I'm not the big powerhouse. I can't do the whole station. We need tactical rest. Mm -hmm. Got it. Well, interesting to hear a little insight because I think a lot of people on the surface don't think more than just on the surface because they don't have to about like a mixed doubles uh, high rocks. And so it's going to be interesting. Go until we break is a really good one to complete it. But since their time is so good, if we break it, it'll be because everything worked and we did it by probably like single digit seconds. Yeah. And my guess is, unfortunately, maybe not, maybe you'll do it on your first crack, but like high rocks is one of those things where like you never get it perfect or right your first crack. Like there's just no way you need to learn the effort on your body. And then where are you going? This is where Bracken goes downstairs to yell at his children. He thinks the internet's been knocked out by them for the third time in a month, but it hasn't happened. I'm still right here. Are we going? Yeah, we're going. I was just, wait, you just left me. My internet just stopped. We're still recording. Okay. I heard you ask the kids if they knocked out the internet. No, weird. Yeah. Minor glitch in the matrix. Minor glitch. I don't remember what I was saying. <sighs> I don't know. Something about on the surface, High Rocks looks this way. And the, Oh, I was saying High Rocks, is, High Rocks is one of those things where, you know, you never or... I'm going to say almost never get it right the first time. Oh, yeah. Gauging your effort, how to manage it to perform your best time. It's something that you need repeated exposure to to understand your body and the nuances within to get the most out of yourself. And with mixed doubles, it has to be the exact same way. Like, I hope that you guys smash the record on your first crack, but round two certainly could only be better because you're going to really learn what it's yeah. like when you're out there. So I'll be curious. You guys are good enough to do it first crack. The female from viola oberlander or something like that she took second at worlds in berlin this year yeah she she passed she's an absolute monster and they were running if their if their thousands weren't short over there they averaged 345 per thousand wow which in the midst of all those stations is really fast yeah so i mean when you it doesn't it's not fast running for a runner but for like a th- for a hundred meter sled push into a three forty five thousand, like that's legit, especially for a woman. I think Hunter averaged three forty six for his world record at, uh, approach, so it's tough. Wow. But I think this is a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about today because High Rocks is all about never tipping over. Mm-hmm. 
Because you can't come back when you tip over in high rocks. You can't because it's too physically demanding. So you have to ride that line. Most most things it's hard hard to come back from after you tip over. High rocks would be like the king of the castle of that. Yeah, because let's say in a running race, you tip over a little bit, you can coast for a bit or slow down. You can't coast a sled push because their weights are so heavy. It's like 385 pounds on the sled and the sled's 110 pounds and you're on crappy, slippery carpet. So you can't casually push it. You have to put out to move it. So once you tip, like you either just decide I'm not going to finish or you're going to have a lot of rest breaks because you can't, like you can't coast a hundred wall balls. <laughs> you're just going to take a lot of rest. So you yeah. can't coast 80 meters of walking lunges with 50 to 70 pounds on your back because you can't use momentum there. So it's, it's super important not to cross over that, like that working threshold. Yeah. So keep bringing us into our topic. Threshold. Hey, I would say, and now we did an entire topic on threshold. Yep. What is threshold? Threshold versus tempo, anaerobic threshold versus lactate threshold versus ventilatory threshold two. It's all confusing to people. We already did an episode on this. We're going to do it again now that we've built into quality work in these topics. And like I told you off mic here, I'm excited to do it because even my understanding and feelings on threshold have evolved in the last year. Yeah. So I'm excited to to do more clarification for people because I think it's the most un- misunderstood most like blanket statement term that gets thrown around and misapplied training principle out there. I can't think of anything else that's less defined in the running world than what threshold training really is. Yeah. And that's kind of too bad too. It's so blurry for people yet. Like it is King when it comes to building your run fitness, stay power, endurance, top end capacity, all of it, literally, I feel like comes back to your threshold, and yet people still scratch their heads with it. And last week, we uh, just defined quality days like simply enough, and naturally, you know, getting more specific with that, talking about threshold, and maybe we'll dabble on tempo a bit, how to define the two, which mm-hmm. we have touched on in the past. But the the one thing with this that just like stresses its importance in a bit. In a way, is in our coaches series recently, we have a question towards the end and we talk about mileage versus um, like intensity. And pretty much all of the coaches have picked mileage where you can come close to your threshold but not breach it in training. And those coaches feel like that, like longer effort, maybe steady bouts are so important that they would give up interval work or hard, flashy stuff because they believe the stay power time on feet and duration is more important than anything. And threshold sure is a notch above that, but not much. And so like unanimous with the coaches is like, yes, stay power matters. I'd choose that over flashy intervals any day and tempo and threshold work is stay power in the making. And so that's a long way of getting at why this is so important. Yeah. VO2 max speed intervals, things like that are all ways to improve But if you had one marker to show why good endurance athletes are good and bad are bad, it would be looking at lactate production at certain paces. That's it. Like lactate threshold, your true threshold really determines your ceiling as a racer. And that's, and that's why we love it so much. 
So I think we should start with definitions. I think that's the simplest place to start. You cool with that? Yep. All right. So we already talked about aerobic threshold, but just as a reminder, aerobic threshold is the point at which lactate starts to accumulate. So everything up until aerobic threshold, you are really not accumulating any lactate up until that point. Lactate production occurs at rest. It's just a part of our, of our bodily functions. When, when you use glucose for, for energy, lactate is a byproduct of that process. And so it's just always happening. At rest, you're going to have anywhere between like 0.8 and 1.5 millimoles of lactate uh, production in, or lactate levels in your blood. Mm -hmm. That's just, it exists. So it's not that lactate just comes out of the woodwork when you start working hard. It's always there, but it starts to actually start accumulating at your aerobic threshold. So that's why we stay under it because then you're not accumulating any, you're not having to deal with any lactate accumulation. Mm -hmm. So that is aerobic threshold. You may also hear the term ventilatory threshold one. That's more of a lab term. You'll hear it if you get a, a VO2 max test done or anything like, but they're the same thing. Aerobic threshold and ventilatory threshold one for all intents and purposes are the same thing. When we say threshold, anaerobic threshold, lactate threshold, ventilatory threshold two are essentially interchangeable terms for when lactate production starts to happen at a rate that you can no longer clear it. You can't clear it at the rate in which it's being produced. Correct. So now it's a losing battle. Lactate threshold is at the exact point where you're no longer clearing at the same rate you're producing. Yeah. So millimoles is just the unit of measure they have for, for basically testing your blood's presence of lactate. And 4.0 millimoles. None of this really matters. I'm just putting black and white definitions. Yeah, to no, it's helpful test. for people to think you're smart. So continue. Yeah. So if yeah. 0.8 to 1.5 millimoles is just normal life, sitting on the couch, walking up and down stairs, walking down the hallway, 4.0 millimole is the generalized lactate threshold. That's like saying everyone should be 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. You're going to see variation. Like I'm 97, uh, I think 97.9 is generally what I am. Mm -hmm. So I'm almost a, a degree under. So my... My body temperature is going to be different from yours at, at rest, at homeostasis, and that's fine. But 4.0 millimole is considered lactate threshold. Anything over that, you are now producing more than you can clear. And then you're on borrowed time. Mm -hmm. So lactate isn't poison. It's used as fuel in your body. But excess hydrogen ions are produced in your body and those cause acidosis that the, the hydrogen ions with increased acidosis inhibits muscle contractions at full strength and that's that feeling you get of oh it's burning i can't work fast anymore so whether or not lactate is the enemy doesn't matter in training mm -hmm. it's not like i've been running this whole time to try to get better at lactate but maybe if i think about hydrogen ions now my workouts will be more effective none of this matters we're just again putting definitions to concepts so lactate threshold, ventilatory threshold two, and anaerobic threshold are interchangeable terms. Sometimes you'll hear people use them differently, but unless you're a scientist in a lab, there's no discernible difference. And the general accepted range for this 
untrained athlete to highest trained athlete in the world is between 30 and 60 minutes of exertion at that threshold, which for general purposes is four millimole. So once you reach it, you have 30 to 60 minutes you can spend in there, depending on how talented you are, how much you've trained that system, and then how how many years of actual like performance-based training you've put in. Is that clarifying at all, or is that muddy in the water? No, that was beautiful. That was very clear. Okay. It was, it was almost like you're a professor of lactate. <laughs> I'm a lactation expert, Kirk. Mm, that makes sense. I, you know, I think like, Lactate obviously is looked at as the enemy, um, mm-hmm. but it's also like our friend in a way. Um, an analogy for this would be, um, first of all, like, yes, lactate is a byproduct of like higher output work, but it also can be reabsorbed and utilized as energy, so to speak. It's almost like if somebody was like feeding you food, which is a, you know, a dream of mine for me and you someday. And you're <laughs> yeah. putting food in this part. Yeah, just one of those things. And putting food in somebody's mouth. Pretty soon you start shoving it, and it's a good thing. It's like, oh, I'm using it. I'm eating it. I can keep up. And then you start really shoving it in their face to the point where they can't. And food falls all over the floor, and it becomes one big mess. Mm-hmm. That's like what happens when you're kind of riding that lactic threshold line. Is like when you're creating it, you actually can reabsorb and use it as fuel. But at some point, like, it boils over. You can't keep up, and it comes pouring out of your mouth, so to speak. Um, and just to piggyback a little bit of what you said about you know, once you surpass your aerobic threshold, which is what we try to keep you well under on recovery days, um, on your aerobic thresholds, once you surpass that, it's just like an increasing amount of lactate that slowly builds up, potentially based on your output, how hard you're working. However, like really, if we're going to start defining it, like for talking about threshold runs, they can be a little bit subjective in the sense like a threshold run sort of starts once you begin to accrue lactate, which means like you could do a threshold run in a lower, like just surpassing your aerobic threshold, or you could be almost your anaerobic threshold and anywhere in there can technically be a version of a threshold run. So that doesn't necessarily mean, and that's why this is so confusing is like a threshold run doesn't mean, okay, well, my lactate threshold is 173 beats a minute. So I need to go peg my heart rate at 173 beats a minute. And that's a threshold run. Like, yes, but also no. And so that's where there's some gray area in it that I think we should dive into just a little bit. I think so. If you're cool with that. You're looking at something, so you might have something smart to drop here. No, I just, I Googled lactate threshold training just to see how murky is this. And a workout popped up from a semi-respected website. And it says... Lactate threshold training is best done in tempo runs in bouts of 30 to 60 minutes at lactate threshold. Now, that's like saying the best 10K workout is to run 5 to 10K at 10K race pace. Which is impossible. Impossible. If if lactate tolerance allows you to work for 30 to 60 minutes, doing a lactate threshold run at lactate threshold pace and effort for 30 to 60 minutes means go out and race all out. And that's just, that was the first result that popped up on Google. Suffice it to say, even the, I wouldn't say the experts, the so-called self-titled experts have no clue what they're talking about half the time. Well, you're just reiterating my point with the first thing you brought, you pulled. Yeah. So yes. It's murky, but we want to unmurk it. Lactate threshold is 
improved by fitness improving. All right. It's not a magic pace. It's not a magic duration. It's not like if I go and run at my lactate threshold, because what does that mean? What is lactate threshold training? Well, one simple way is to do blood draws during or after every interval to make sure Mm -hmm. I'm sitting at or about 4.0 millimole. That's not what a lot of people do. That's what many training groups do. But by many, I mean, there's probably like 15 or 20 throughout the planet that that is their main style of training. You can run at your lactate threshold heart rate, which if you've had testing done, you know, this at this inflection point, boom, my heart rate is 162. So if I run intervals at or at runs at 162, I'm doing lactate threshold training, but it takes a while to get to that point. So what if you're doing my favorite workout, Kirk, eight to 12 by thousand? These are three to three and a half minute intervals. What if my heart rate doesn't rise up to my lactate threshold heart rate by the end of my three minutes? Was I improving my lactate tolerance or my lactate clearance rates at all in that workout? Yes. Yeah. But how can I account for it? Well, you could account for it by the time. Well, you can't, but you could, you could account for it by the time you breach your aerobic threshold and until the time you reach heart your aerobic. Correct. Heart rate. But that's it. But if you're not pricking your finger or getting blood draws, it's subjective. Yeah. What if I do 30 on 30 off for 60 minutes and never reach 162 heart rate until maybe my last 15 reps? I understand your point here. How much time did I spend? Is it only the seven seconds at the end of the rep that I got to? Did I do any work? Well, you have cardiac drift, so you might stay in there for the 15 seconds of the first rest, potentially. Not the first rest, but maybe the 45th rest. Correct. That's the first part of your 30-second rest. But we can muddy the waters. So would it then be best to do a 30-minute steady state run, ramp up to my heart rate, and then start my interval? You can see how this starts getting muddied. Do I run at the pace? Yeah. At 162 and flat, my pace is 530 per mile, let's say. Let's say it's 730 per mile. doesn't matter. Do I go and do 730 per mile paced intervals? What if I do 30 seconds at 7.30 per mile? That feels shockingly easy. Mm-hmm. What if I do 45 minutes at it? I can't keep, like, what do I do? So again, this is why it's so confusing for people. What does it mean? How do I use it? Well, and this is why we're piggyback this, piggybacking this on a quality, after the quality day mm-hmm. uh, topic last week, because like anytime, in my opinion, anytime like you are reaching your aerobic threshold and going closer and closer towards your anaerobic threshold, we've entered into quality day status, which requires recovery, which means no matter how gray this area looks, if you just stick to the facts, like did my heart rate get above aerobic threshold and did it stay there or spike in there a number of times throughout my workout, then today was a quality day. Threshold work counts as that no matter how it looks, if it's 30, 30 intervals or a six mile threshold run or whatever it so may be. And so like, yes, it can be overcomplicated and people love to split hairs. Like I got confused as we went back and forth there for a minute anyways. I yeah. had to think, right? Like what the hell's going on? But when you simplify it that way, and again, remember we're piggybacking the quality day segment, then it kind of clears itself up just a little bit. Yeah. If you know your numbers. Exactly. Now, I think there's two ways to think about this that are reassuring for a coach or an athlete. The first is that maybe, maybe the single greatest way 
of improving your lactate threshold is through aerobic running. Because what have we talked about? One of the biggest benefits of aerobic running is increased mitochondria production. Mm -hmm. If we have more of those, guess what one of their main functions is? What? Lactate clearance in the body. So the more organelles you have in there, the better your lactate clearance rates are going to be. So normally it might take minutes to clear four millimole out of your system. But if you have an increase in mitochondria, you cut down the amount of time it takes to clear it out. And you also stave off the time of getting to four millimole. So zone two training, the stuff that we do on all our easy runs, most of our recovery runs is a powerhouse for raising the, your lactate threshold. Mm -hmm. So suddenly we don't have to worry yet about how do I do my lactate threshold workouts? Because zone two training is a lactate threshold booster. And now that gives you even more purpose for staying polarized in your training. So I think that's one really important thing for athletes to remember that I'm working on this when I'm working easy. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that reminder. Yeah. I mean, and it can even bleeds into the next category, which is VO2 max, like zone two work can even bleed into because it affects threshold can bleed into higher VO2 max output. So like, it just, yeah. it really is. And when you look at this whole scheme of things, if we we're going to like compartmentalize or like really section these things out, you look at base building, let's say you were going to be, so structured, you're going to be like, I'm going to base build and I'm going to only stay in zone two for two months. I'm never going to allow myself to do anything but recovery work. I don't recommend that. However, just let's say that's the base to your pyramid, right? That is the biggest building block on the bottom of your pyramid to help build that pyramid high, right? And then let's say you were to cut right from that to interval work and VO2 max work. Well, now you're layering like a smaller section on top of this big, broad base which is still going to limit how high your pyramid can go. However, if you stick with your threshold work and layer that on top of your base work, that builds a nice big second layer to your pyramid instead of a short spicy one, allowing everything else to be built on top of that. It's like you need to have like your cake and you need to have your icing before you have anything, any frills on top, which is like, like the, uh, the speed work and the VO2 max work and all that fancy stuff and like base work or lactate threshold or whatever, work goes so hand in hand it's incredible yeah because they both feed each other incredibly and so like it's just something like it's like the most important piece of the puzzle to make sure is in there to make you a better athlete is the base training and like the threshold or tempo block however you want to look at it they're just like so dang important in fact you could even if you're a true endurance athlete and you're racing over a half an hour or even 20 minutes you could get rid of the frills. You could get rid of everything and simply do base work and threshold work and maybe be the best athlete you possibly could. And so it's like so dang important, man. It's just so dang important to understand like its place in all of this. You're right. Then the second thing I mentioned, there are two things that make me feel better as an athlete and as a coach that all this nonsense can be like watered down and, and really distilled. The second is that if your zone two work is working on the actual mechanisms of lactate clearance, well, in a true polarized state of training, it's either really slow or really fast. VO2 max and faster work, when you're talking 5K or faster work, they work on your running economy and your efficiency and your turnover and all that. But what they really do is they put huge shots of lactate production into your system 
And those are the workouts where you take longer rest after intervals and your body goes right into hyperdrive of clearing that lactate and those hydrogen ions back out of your body. They, they, they hide them off in different organs and they pump them through your bloodstream. They filter things out and you're back to homeostasis or at least a low level by the time you start your next interval. This is like five rep, three rep, one rep max lifting where it makes you a better 50 rep max person because you're so powerful that less weight just feels so easy. If your body's used to, let's say, shuttling eight, 10, 12, 15 millimole out of your system in your three to five minute recovery, suddenly four millimole feels really tolerable. Yeah. So by polarizing your training and doing a ton of zone two and you work on the actual construction of your body so it can clear lactate better and then overwhelming it with lactate production and then trying to clear all of that out later, that middle ground of true 30 to 60 minute racing has already again been addressed. So without doing a lactate threshold, an anaerobic threshold pace or heart rate workout yet, you've raised your ability to work at that. So already we've demystified how perfectly you have to work your workouts to do that. You've already gotten better at it. And now you get to focus on true threshold workouts. So we've done a threshold episode so far and we haven't even yet talked about it. And yet we've already gotten better. And that's reassuring to me as a coach and an athlete that you don't even have to get to it yet and you've improved. And now we actually get to get to it. Yeah. And I'm trying to decide how far into the weeds we want to get with this because in our threshold, we did like an all about threshold, I think is the title of the episode. And if you want like the super details, go back to that and we will talk about that. We'll touch on some of them right here. But like as far as like the in-depth scoop on it, I think we should keep it to that episode, but then retouch on, on the points. It depends how you want to look at this, but. Well, I've been craving the opportunity to talk about the refrigerator and the front door. I, that's a good analogy. I like that cold air analogy. I think, I think that that'll lead people to that episode to dig deeper, but that gives, I think a framework for how to actually approach threshold workouts in your training. Okay. Well, lay it on them. Give them the old refrigerator analogy. Or the, or the open door, right? Or the open it's door both. on a winter day? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're in your kitchen. <laughs> it's winter in Minnesota or Wisconsin. It's negative 30 degrees out. And you are standing in your kitchen buck naked. My favorite thing to do. Your front door is open. You don't notice it in your kitchen. Is there cold entering your house? Absolutely. That is lactate production at rest in the human body. There's stuff going on. You're not aware of it. It doesn't affect you. Every step you then turn and walk towards the door, you get closer to the door and lactate accumulation starts building up in your blood. You first start to notice that, oh, this feels a little chilly. That's your aerobic threshold. You suddenly notice it. You go above that and you're starting to realize someone left the door open and it is freaking cold outside but right here, I'm fine. I'd be maybe uncomfortable, but I could stay here for hours before I'd have to go get dressed or shut the door. We good so far? So far, clear as day. You charge through the door and you go outside. How long can you survive in negative 30 with no no clothes? Not very long, Brad. Let's say you do everything in your power. Could you make it 30 to 60 minutes out in negative 30 naked? Maybe a half hour? Maybe. Maybe Maybe an hour if you do this, maybe once a week and build up to it. Okay, sure. Let's go with that for the sake of your argument. 
that's right there. That's lactate threshold. Once you're out the door, mm-hmm. you got 30 to 60 minutes and then you got to get back inside. Otherwise you're going to die. You're on borrowed time. But there's that big difference between my feet are in the hallway and I feel that there's some chill and I'm outside and I'm going to die if I stay here. And that's Mm -hmm. the lactate threshold kind of spectrum. So if your goal was to get better at tolerating cold, would you go and just stand outside in negative 30 naked? Would that be the best return on your investment? Maybe in short intervals with little rest, Bracken. Maybe. Maybe. But would you also get better at handling cold in general by standing 10 feet away from the door inside? And getting blasted yes. with negative 30 temperature, but you're inside and your heater's behind you? Yes. Yeah. So that is like lactate threshold work, interval work. A tempo run might be standing five feet from the door. It's uncomfortably cold, but you can tolerate it just fine. And you're not going to have any frostbite on it. You're going to be able to go out and run just fine the next day. You go outside for 30 minutes, you're going to need a few days before you're going to want to go back outside again. Mm -hmm. The farther you get from the door back towards your kitchen, the less benefit you're really getting from the cold. And the farther you get past the door, the less time you can spend out there acclimating to the cold before you have to get inside. And that's how threshold training works. There's not necessarily one best time, one best duration, one best pace, one best heart rate to sit at, because how much time you spend at it is solely determined by how cold you are. If you just go right up to four millimole, you know how much time you can spend. But if you go to maybe three, eight, now maybe you can get 46, 48, 52 minutes of interval workout before you've got to take a break and you won't be smashed the next day. So all the science points to the fact that if you approach your lactate threshold, within like single digit percent of that. So like 90, 91 to 99% of your lactate threshold, that zone has almost no difference in return on investment in training. But once you go over, you get diminishing returns because now you need more rest. You've accumulated more damage, but you don't get like a proportionately bigger return on your investment. So standing near the door is not much different than in the door or slightly outside. You can just stand near it longer and do it more often. That's the end of it. It really is the end of it. I would say you went more in depth in that analogy on this episode than you did on the All About Threshold episode in a sense. But like, and this is a subjective term in a sense, like for me, if I'm surpassing my aerobic threshold, I am now in some sort of what I would consider threshold effort run. And we don't need to get too far into the weeds, but like, am I doing it right? Would be like a common question people would have. Mm -hmm. Am I doing it right? Like, am I in a threshold or or not? Like for some, for some like example, like I know my lactate threshold is somewhere around 172 or three beats a minute. Right. I could go out and say, I'm just gonna, I know my aerobic threshold is somewhere around 150. I don't know, two to seven. I'm a little blurry on where that lies. So, Anyways, if I put my heart rate at 165 and just peg it, am I doing a threshold run? In my opinion, yes. Maybe some would argue. Most people feel like it implies that a threshold run means you get right to your threshold and you hang on for dear life to that number as much as you can. But really, like again, that is like your 30 to 60 minute race effort, as you said earlier. So threshold can happen anywhere in there. The best way to like approach that if you have if even if you don't have a clue as to where your threshold 
heart rate is because that's all we can really go on real time. I can't imagine most of us are pricking our fingers mid run. Mm -hmm. um, although we've had a few people reach out saying they've been testing themselves, which is interesting. Yeah, it's cool. um, which just shows what students uh, people are. But you know, is like the progression run. Like if you progress and say, I'm going to run eight minutes and then 7.45 and then 7.30 and then 7.15 and then 7, you're going to do that till sort of the wheels fall off. I guarantee you, you're going to spend over half of that run in your threshold seeing benefit to exactly what we're talking about. So like people can overcomplicate this, but again, like there's no magic. I mean, there's a magic number for everybody, let's say, where you're going to surpass your threshold and start flooding with lactate. But like, it doesn't need to be even executed perfectly. It's like kind of go into that zone where you're working kind of hard and like stay there for a while mm -hmm. or get to that point, short rest, work till you get yourself to the point you're kind of working hard again, short rest. Like if you're not a heart rate monitor subscriber, for example, this becomes much more confusing. And so like, it really is that simple. And whether you work at 160 beats a minute or 170 beats a minute, like Bracken said, if you're working 90 to 90 9% of your lactate threshold uh, and, and lactate clearance anyways, you're seeing almost the same benefit. So either I'm clearing this up or muddying it more, but let's use me as an example of 173 beats a minute for my lactate threshold. Whether I work at 163 or 167 or 171, I may very well be seeing the same benefit from all of that work, no matter what. So like the interesting part about that is like, it's not exactly an exact science how close you get to your lactate threshold and hold. It's saying like, you're going to see great benefit whether you sit well sub threshold or you sit right at it. And mm -hmm. I think that's like the key thing. Like people can rest assured that like you're still seeing benefit regardless. I don't know if I made that more clear or less clear, but hopefully somewhere maybe in the middle. I think it was helpful. But, and, and I think that the, this all falls in the same line, which is if zone two is helping us and fast is helping us, then this moderate, uh, high-end moderate, if it's not precise, because again, we can't be precise with heart rate or pace or what, what, or, or even a blood draw unless you've had lab testing. So the more, the more accurate your test is, the more precise you can get with your workout. But the easiest way to ensure that you're getting benefit of this is to go slightly slower. Because yes. once you tip over, you're not getting a ton of real or really any more tangible benefit, but you're going to have to recover more. So in terms of the lifelong development of the athlete, the threshold workout is the easiest one to get right because it's the easiest one to fall in a range. Like if you're doing sprint work, if you're not going for a hundred percent contraction in your muscles, you're not getting the benefit. If you're running downhill, if you're breaking slightly, you're not getting the race benefit. You're not getting the impact you need. If you're doing VO2 max work, if you back off four beats and you stay under it, you're not getting the full intended benefit. But if you do threshold work and you back off four beats or you hold back a little, or you're not fully sure if you're in it or not, you're still getting a lot of the benefit with none of the associated damage. And so it's yep. safe. It's easy. And rather than being confusing for people, you should feel free because how many people have heard the word tempo run? used in a different sense. I did a 20 minute tempo with eight by 200 afterwards, or I did a 90 minute tempo run, or I did a long run with three by 15 minute tempo in the middle. Mm -hmm. Tempo is a catch all phrase that either means I have no idea what it means. And I'm just saying it to sound smarter because I've heard people say it, or I'm just running at a prescribed pace or effort for a prescribed amount of time. Yep. 
Exactly. I'd rather have people do the second than say, I have no idea what it means. So the word tempo, think of it like music. It's just a pace thing. You're choosing a tempo at which to run at, and you're going to hold that. That's it. That's all a tempo run is. You could do a 10 minute tempo. (laughs) Some people might call that a long interval. Who cares? You could do a two hour tempo. That's choosing a pace and working at it. You could do 30 second tempo, which seems silly, but it would technically classify if there's an objective goal you're trying to hit for that 30 second. Tempo just means long interval to most people. Threshold talks about an effort level. Tempo talks about a duration at a chosen effort level. That's really all it is. So Kirk, this kind of brings me to the thing that's changed in my, the way I look at threshold, which is it used to be threshold is 30 to 60 minutes, untrained 30 world-class athletes, 60 minutes. That's what you can hold it for. But I've become more and more a believer in the idea of your race specific threshold. Okay. Because your lactate threshold is as fast as you can work without lactate accumulation or production happening at a greater rate than you can clear it. But let's say you were going to go run Abu Dhabi. It's going to take you, let's say, two and a half hours for a 13-mile race in the sand. Mm -hmm. You can't exceed your Abu Dhabi two and a half hour threshold. If your lactate accumulation rises too high for two and a half hours worth of production, you're screwed. So even if that's not four millimoles, If that's 3.5 or 7, who cares what it is? You have a race-specific millimole count you can't exceed. Mm -hmm. That is independent of your VO2 max and your lactate threshold, that ventilatory threshold too. You have a two and a half hour lactate threshold and you can't exceed that production. And so that threshold to me is equally important to a racer as the true ventilatory threshold to 30 to 60 minutes worth of work. Does that track? It does. How would you determine that ahead of time? Well, and that's where race specific workouts come in. That's where you go out there and do long tempo runs where a lot of people say that's gray area. That's slower than lactate threshold. That's significantly slower. That's marathon pace. Marathon pace is your marathon lactate threshold. Yeah. You're still in that zone. You're still in producing lactate. And that's the thing. Yeah. It's a race specific lactate threshold. And that's again, even more undefinable, but even more important to an athlete saying, I have to get ready for three hours in the mountains or six hours in the mountains. What is my threshold work for that duration? And that's where long tempos come into play. Going out there and doing three by 30 minute tempo, a purist would say, that's not threshold work. You'd say, no, but it's my race threshold. I need that as well. And so again, it gives you more variation that you can put into your, it's not one end of the polarized spectrum. It's not the other. This is race specific training. And not only is it race specific, but it's so much less damaging that you can do a large portion of your training in this area and get away with it for years. I like that. And just to add on to what you're saying, let's say the highly trained athlete can hold their lactate threshold for 60 minutes at 4.0 millimoles. Let's say Mm -hmm. they can just click just perfect balance to make 60 minutes. What Bracken is saying is saying, well, maybe, okay, I'm well-trained. I can hold that for 60 minutes, but my race is three hours. So what do I do with that shit? Well, maybe I can hold 3.5 millimoles of clearance for three hours. And that's what you're talking about. Like a a sustainable rate of lactate clearance, which is still threshold. You're still working in threshold, 
but just more for a longer, you're basically talking for longer duration work. Like it's never going to be the same as your objective lactate threshold, right? BPM or, you know, 4.0 millimoles. But then we work at a slightly lower rate of that and perfecting that to race well over longer duration means yes, you can do threshold work for longer than 60 minutes. And I 100% agree with you. I'm glad you brought that up because I think based on what we have said so far, the assumption was you couldn't pass 30 or 60 minutes. And that's a falsality because we often race much further than that, which means we need to work in those zones for long duration to get prepped for the race demands. Yeah. So a four millimole, again, the four millimole doesn't matter, but in a lab, they draw your blood or even like with a, with a portable, um, blood lactate monitor, you would draw your blood and say, you're at four millimole. Excellent. But let's say I want to accumulate 75 minutes of intensity today. And I'm doing 3.8 millimole the whole time, 70 minutes mm-hmm. of work at that. Have I accomplished nothing? No, no. I've been clearing lactate that entire time, a significant amount of lactate that entire time. Like that is serious work that's occurring and I'm getting race specific resistance to impact and fueling and all sorts of things over the course of 70 minutes of work. And that's where that quality long run comes into play. Like I wasn't hitting 162 beats per minute that whole time. I was hitting 159. I could hold it for a lot longer. And now for my race where I'm going to try to hit 148 for six hours, it's still applicable. That's still way faster than race pace. So we are currently adding more freedom, which should muddy the water, but I hope it's clearing the waters that you don't have to be perfect with lactate threshold training. But if you're going to be perfect, you have to get to a lab and get tested and then follow very specific heart rate and, and blood lactate levels in your training. Yep. So don't try to be super specific if you don't have the lab testing to go with it. And don't try to be super random if you have the, the blood levels that tell you what you need to do. You choose one or the other, but they're both going to get you there. And you choose the one that's less stressful for you as an athlete. Yeah. And I think some people are going to be wondering, you know, we touched on this too in our threshold episode we did a while back, but you know, your watch is going to give you these readings. Most of us have these smart watches and it says new threshold detected. And it says accept or decline. Like most of you have that on your garments. Maybe the uh, Suntos do it too. I don't know. But um, first of all, um, just as a PSA more than anything, that data is absolutely garbage if you're not using an external heart rate monitor. However, if you're consistently using your external heart rate monitor and you don't have anything else to base this off of, you haven't had lab work done, you don't have anything, I think the technology is reliable enough to give you to get you in the ballpark and use those numbers. Just my opinion based on how I feel when I'm out working out and what my watch has given me after it's tracked me over time that's with an external heart rate monitor. I know a lot of you aren't going to go rush to a lab after this episode to go get tested. So um, I just wanted to like put that little bit out there because most people see that pop up in their watch and wonder what to do with it. And so I think you can use it, take it with a grain of salt, but use it if you're using an external heart rate monitor. And if you're not, then you're as clueless as someone who's not wearing a watch in my opinion. So that's my, that's what I got to say about that. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I think the tech and the algorithms and the sensors are getting better month by month. And your training data gets more accurate month by month. Correct. Your watch will dial in your numbers to you. And mine are to the point now where they're pretty accurate. Yeah. And you can always, I like their tests they have on there. They have VO2 max and lactate threshold tests that you can do on your Garmin. 
and I'm assuming on your Sunto or on your Polar as well. And they're, they're trustworthy. I like it. It's as trustworthy as anything else as my nose breathing aerobic threshold test. Like, is it really going to be worse than that? No, it's not. The great news is that running is not an exact science. Yeah. One of our guests, a few episodes said before that one of the reasons he's not too hung up on individual workouts is because there are so many different systems out there that all turn out world champions. Like it's more about consistently not screwing up and consistently putting the work than consistently doing the exact perfect thing. Yep. That's why there are camps like if you look at Norway right now in particular are just rocking the endurance world and they're really big on lactate threshold training. But you look at the East African camps and they are really big on the long runs, progression runs and track intervals. Elliot Kipchoge does a lot of 10K work and a lot of long runs. 10K for him? I mean, he was a sub 14. He, I mean, he was a sub 13 minute 5K runner, which means his 10K, he's a 26 something 10K runner. That's faster than lactate threshold for him, which means his speed work is faster than lactate threshold. And yet they're all doing the same thing. They're all winning world titles. They're all winning Olympic golds. They're all setting world records. So doing anything consistently is the the goal here. It's keep yourself from screwing up, which means lactate's an easy way to do it because you can back off of it and know you're still getting benefits. And I think I think the main takeaway, which we've pounded a number of times now, is just like I think your window for opportunity with threshold training is much bigger than you think. Mm-hmm. Sure, that tipping point is an exact science for everybody, but there's this whole window below it in which you are seeing huge benefit from working in, and you don't have to split hairs between am I at 165 BPM or 167? Which one? Who cares? Yeah. Your body's going to adapt very efficiently and effectively to that. And so that's like a nice soft pillow to sleep on when it comes to threshold training. We could try to talk about tipping over and working too hard, which the which athletes sometimes do. They're going to go out for a threshold run and end up working and like VO2 max effort, all that. But I think we saved that conversation for another day. But erring on the side of caution, I believe you said with that, like if you're in doubt, if you're working too hard, back off the throttle, you're still going to see this basically the same amount of benefit. Yeah. One of the most common mistakes I see athletes that I personally work with make or attempt to make is that it just wasn't that painful. And I really need Rafe race toughness work and mindset work. So I really want, I'm going to run them faster. I know I can run that run faster. And that's never the goal of this. This isn't the workout that makes you a tougher racer. This is the one that makes your body more prepared to handle the demands of racing. Mm -hmm. Save your time trials, save your race sims, save your true spicy work for dialing in the other piece. Don't go out there and seek hurt on this seek ease of movement. Look at it like an internal workout. This is not about toughness. It's about priming your system for what's going to come. 100%. Last analogy of the day. I was going to say, I think if we keep talking, we could just muddy the waters more, but give it a go, Bracken. I like your analogies. My last analogy of the day is I like to look at training the body like building an interstate. When a new runner comes to me and says, I just need to go faster because I'm so slow. My turnover is so slow. I just, I need to get faster. I don't have enough speed. To me, that's like, we all start in the middle of the country, building a road as an athlete. And that's taking a one lane country gravel road and slapping tarmac over the top and then hosting a Grand Prix race. 
Like it's just not going to last very long. It's not going to work for what you need. Maybe you in a single car are going to get down it quick for a while, but at the first turn, you're going to realize this isn't built for speed. You're going to go off the road. What we all want to do is plan for the future, which is you're going to want an eight lane highway. And that is base building. You need to excavate the land. You need to grade the road. You need to compact the dirt, lay down the gravel. And now you've got an eight lane roughed out highway. That's what your aerobic building is doing. Then you start adding in threshold work and then speed work. And that's laying on the asphalt. That's putting on a nice smooth finish. That's putting your racing tires on your car so that you can handle everything. But really the road structure that you built up handles the traffic. You can only put so many cars on a country road, but you if you spend the time and the money up front building an eight lane highway, no one will ever complain that they're not stuck in traffic later. Like I've got this sexy sports car and all I can do is go fast till I hit a turn and a ramp and now we're stuck. No, you've got this huge interstate that you've built. Now you get to lay down some really smooth surface. Now you get to worry about racing tires or what engine you're going to put in your car or all those things. Like all you have to do early on is worry about how wide you can make your lanes so that when your speed's there, you've got room to use it. Bingo. I like it. Good. I'm glad you like it. Cause I, I show up here cause I want to, I want to make you proud. Is that what it is? That's what you said about your racing in Jacksonville. You did it so that I would be satisfied with your race. Mm, I'm just reaching like classic, but, but details. I wonder how many analogies you could make. Like if we had to come up with an analogies list for like base building or threshold work, if we could, you know, you have the pyramid, you have the, 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 the you have this highway system. I wonder how many we had the uh, tilling the garden and soiling and fertilizing slash and the burn. land slash and burn. I wonder we could really come up with quite. We might have to have a running public daily, a daily analogy little little calendar we put out. I think you could keep them going for years on it. It's very impressive. Remember on Monday the first here, just picture yourself standing naked in the kitchen, front door is <laughs> wide open. <laughs> I don't know. Kurt. It would resonate you. I've done it before. Let's be honest with ourselves. Um, okay, I'm happy. You happy? I am. We said it last time. This episode is going to lead to questions. Before you reach out with the questions, unless they're real cut and dry, go back to our all about threshold episode and listen to that one as well. That's step one. Yeah, I don't know how long ago that was, but it's got to be over a year ago. At, I would say right around a year. Yeah. So hit that one up. And uh, we got uh, we got a few suggestions for these fundamental topics. We might keep these going for a few more weeks. We have a few more we want to cover. But if there's anything that comes top of mind, keep reaching out on that for sure. For sure. Today I'm picking up a rower. A rower, a concept two, is entering the Crocker household. It'll join the basement gym. Rounding that baby out. Excellent. New or used? Used. There you go. Good. Did you have to look hard to find one? Yeah, they get snapped up so quick. If they come out at MSRP used, they sit. And if they're at all under MSRP, they're, a lot of people have their their alerts set up on their phone and they get notified every time one hits the market. So I had a few over the last few months, probably 10 that you reach out and like, oh, sorry, it's already pending. So mm-hmm. this guy listed it as I opened up my app to check a message and it said listed one minute ago and I sent that message. Nice. I got a, a class of- Classy Zbex rower mm-hmm. at home, which I'd never heard of till it was gifted to me. And I'm thinking of upgrading. It's it's kind of a piece of junk. So I might join you here coming up. 
That was the one that made, I hadn't heard of it until it made waves when, um, when CrossFit did their, their qualification to, to the games from the open and people use that and we're putting up crazy numbers in some of these, these workouts and they realize that uh-huh. it counts calories a little quicker than concept two <laughs> does. Yeah. It makes you feel real good about your workload though. But like I said, I got a, uh, I got a ball bearing that's out on the seat. Yeah. So it grinds as you push. So it's extra resistance. Check that out. Bracken showing me his belly. What is that? That is the day, day one, we went to this health club and used their rowers. And it was a brand I didn't know, but on their rower handle where it normally has like a convex, mm-hmm. convex where it goes away from concave, concave mm-hmm. where it goes away from you on the rower. It had like a, a little attachment piece there that smacked you in the sternum every time. you <laughs> So I've got this bruising and welting on my, it's a giant bruise, actually. It's pretty dark. Yeah, you must have really been getting after it with that pole. That pole. That was Hammond, Kirk. Yeah, buddy. Well, I hope you recover. Thanks. I'm not a great skier artist, but in short bursts, I can put out some power on the rower, I found. All right. Probably not good for a rower, but good for a runner on a rower, I think. When I come visit you, we'll have a row off. Not that I'm doing much of it, but it'll be a fun little experiment. We should wrap this thing up anyways. We got we got things to do, don't we, Bracken? Lock it up, Kirk. I got to go get some – I got to go pick up a rower. Got to go huh. bring some cash to a, a Facebook Marketplace meetup. Been there. Good bring luck. the kids. No one will rob a man with kids in the car. True. All right. See you later, Bracken. Goodbye, Kirk. Goodbye, Kirk.